Matthew 3, verse 13 through 4, verse 11, these are God's words. Then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, Permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting to us for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he allowed him. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. And suddenly a voice came from heaven, saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights afterward, he was hungry. Now when the tempter came to him, he said, If you are the Son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him up into the holy city, set him on the high pinnacle of the temple, and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge over you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against stone. Jesus said to him, It is written again, You shall not tempt Yahweh your God. Again the devil took him up on an exceedingly high mountain, and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan! For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only you shall serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and ministered to him. And thus ends this reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. So Jesus here is being introduced and inaugurated for his public ministry. Uh, And the first thing that we learn about Jesus is that Jesus is the mighty God of Genesis 31 and Ezekiel uh, 36, who gives the new heart, who pours out his spirit uh, to give men new hearts. John didn't want to baptize Jesus because John's (coughs) baptism was for people who need new hearts. And Jesus does not need a new heart. Uh, In fact, John is the one who needs a new heart, and he recognizes Jesus as the mightier one than he, whose sandals he was not worthy to carry. And he says, I need to be baptized by you. I need you to pour out the Holy Spirit upon me. I um, uh, and you uh, do not need to have water applied to you. Uh, in um, in demonstration of your need for a new heart, you don't need a new heart. So Jesus is the mighty God who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. <coughs> uh, but he is also the only way that any of us can be righteous. Uh, it's marvelous when he says, not for thus it is fitting for me, to fulfill all righteousness, because Jesus is the one who is fulfilling all righteousness. But he says, it is uh, thus it is fitting for us to fulfill 
all righteousness. John's only hope to be counted righteous is for Jesus to be his righteousness, is to be united to a Jesus who has obeyed righteously in both of their places. Um, And this uh, is true for us as well. Our only hope to be right with God is not uh, is not that we would do what is right, but that Jesus would do what is right, and that we would be joined to him in his doing what is right. So he identifies himself with us. That's why he takes a baptism that belongs to us. Uh, in fact, uh, later when uh, James and John uh, have the request uh, to be at his right and left hand in the kingdom. And he asks, are you prepared to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? Uh, and he's talking about the cross. Uh, and uh, so there too, he is identified with us in what we call his passive obedience, his receiving what our sins deserve. Uh, but here he's identified with us for all of his obedience, especially his active obedience, his obeying God's commands. And so Jesus gets baptized in order to be identified with us. And he is later going to give a water baptism uh, that is a sign and seal on earth of that spirit baptism that he gives from heaven in which he will identify us with himself. He is the mighty God who baptizes with the, with the Spirit. He is uh, our only hope for righteousness. And he is, in the third place, perfectly righteous. Verses 16 and 17. When he had been baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water. And this is uh, from as in directionally from, geographically from, not out of. There's two different prepositions. So he comes out. Uh, Away from that. um, (coughs) So he comes away from uh, that location. And behold, and this is the trivia question I asked you guys the other day, was the first thing Jesus saw when he came away from his baptism. And it's not the Spirit of God. The first thing he saw is the heavens opened. The Spirit of God descending upon him like a dove and alighting upon him. Uh, and so the this appearance of a dove does not come from the earth. It comes from what we would call the third heaven. The heavens are opened. And this appearance comes from glory. Uh, so this is uh, very much an appearance of God the Holy Spirit to him. And then with the heavens opened, and the Spirit who has come out from the opening and alighted upon him, we have a voice, suddenly a voice from heaven, saying, this is my beloved son. And so the spirit is presented as a person who comes from glory, who is God, and then we have the father uh, represented or present in declaring about his son, this is my beloved son, and Uh, The voice also comes from the opening, uh, and the spirit who came from the opening lands upon the sun, and the uh, the voice that came from the opening owns the sun, and so uh, what is implied here is that the sun has come from the opening, 
yes, according to the flesh, he, uh, according to the flesh, he came uh, from the womb of the Virgin Mary. But uh, he also is of this Godhead uh, who manifests himself from heaven opened. And so heaven is opened and the Spirit and the Father and this by the Spirit and the Father, the Son, is made known as the one true God. And of course, not now just in his divine nature, but in his human nature, the Spirit owning Jesus, even in the human nature, as still the divine Son. The Father owning Jesus in his human nature as still the divine Son. And now the Father declaring of the divine Son, even in his human nature, that he is the Beloved, and especially that with him he is well pleased and praise God, that God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit acknowledge our righteousness when we are joined to Jesus Christ. When we are joined to Jesus Christ, we are adopted with him and in him, like we've been hearing in Romans chapter 8, and of us, the Father says, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased, because we are joined to Jesus Christ, and that's what he was accomplishing in his baptism. Now Jesus is also now going to immediately fulfill that righteousness that is required of us, but that we have failed to render unto God, uh, beginning with and ever since our first father, Adam. Uh, notice that the Spirit drives him in the wilderness and the sp- into the wilderness, and the Spirit is the one by whom he fasts. He does as the Spirit of God teaches and <coughs> leads him to do. We know that there was food in the wilderness. How do we know? Well, because the one who just baptized him lives in the wilderness, and he's got food there. He eats locusts and honey. And so this was a spirit-led choice, not a circumstance uh, or circumstantial uh, constraint upon the Lord Jesus. He was fasting, uh, and so he was uh, preparing spiritually uh, for what he was about to face, just as he prepared spiritually for the cross by praying in the garden. So he prepares spiritually for the temptation by fasting and prayer uh, in the wilderness. The Lord Jesus even, of course, rendering unto unto God that spiritual mindedness and proper use of the means that God has afforded men, as Jesus himself was and is still. Well, he was a uh, humiliated man. Now he's a glorified man. Uh, he no longer gets hungry, but he is hungry at the end of this. Uh, And the devil comes to him uh, with basically the same temptation uh, as uh, to Adam. Adam had every uh, every tree in the garden. He had even more than that, the fellowship with God in the garden, God who speaks to him. Uh, And so, uh, and so it was a great wickedness. When Adam, who First Timothy 2 tells us was not deceived, desired, if he could choose, to not have the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil uh, along with 
having God, or he could choose to being able to eat uh, of the tree or taking from the tree and having himself as God, he wanted to have himself as God. But here Jesus has just practiced 40 days of counting fellowship with God better than eating. So he is well prepared when the devil comes and suggests that God has not been so generous with Jesus as he uh, as he ought to be with a son. If you are the son of God, tell these stones. Command that these stones become bread. Uh, and Jesus' answer is basically that he has just spent 40 days enjoying his sonship, enjoying every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He quotes from the scripture, man shall not live by bread alone. He was the son whom Adam should have been in the garden and whom Israel should have been in the wilderness, who also failed on the same account, didn't they? But they also failed in light of the fact that God had given them promises of where he was taking them. He was taking them into the land. And he had made the great part of the promise, not just that he would multiply them, and here they are already multiplied, not just that he would bring them into the land, and that's kind of part of the problem because they're very multiplied as they come to the land and so they need food. But the great part of the promise is that he would be their God and they would be his people. And so he's made these promises, he's keeping their these promises, and what do they do? They put the Lord their God to the test. They say, can he give us bread and meat in the wilderness? And so not only in the first temptation here, but in the second temptation, you have Jesus being not just the son that Adam should have been, uh, but the son that Israel should have been, especially after God calls them his firstborn son in Exodus 4, 22 and 23. And the devil comes with some of God's promises. He shall give his angels charge over you in their hands. They shall bear you up lest you dash your foot against the stone. Uh, it's as if he is saying, don't you remember Psalm 91? And Jesus, Jesus' answer is basically, of course, and I trust Psalm 91. And I don't need to test God to know that Psalm 91 is true. In fact, uh, it would be wicked of me to put the Lord to the test. And so, so of course, Jesus uh, quotes the scripture and he is the son that Israel should have been, but wasn't, as we learn Psalm 95, 9 through 10, especially that the Lord was grieved, was wrathful with that generation because they put him to the test. And Psalm 95 says, when you hear your vo hear his voice, you know, do not go astray in your hearts as the people with whom he was grieved. They tested him. And so Jesus is the son whom Adam should have been in the garden. And we see that he is a new humanity. And Jesus is the son who Israel should have been in the wilderness. And we see that he is the one in whom sinful man can be brought into covenant with God. He is the light to the nations. He is himself the fulfillment uh, of Israel. He is what Israel always ought to have been. And the one in whom every Israelite who is actually saved has ever been saved. How are pious persons saved before the coming of Christ? By believing in the Savior to come, as even our catechized children know.
And then Jesus is also the one who accomplishes his mission. He he doesn't disobey even uh, for a moment. Jesus had come that all authority in heaven and earth would be given unto him. Uh, He had come that he would be glorified uh, in his people. Uh, And so when the devil takes him up to this exceedingly high mountain, shows him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory, he is offering to Christ, setting before Christ, that which Jesus came for, that which rightfully belongs to Christ. But he offers him the crown without the cross. And he says, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. He offers Jesus the ability to uh, immediately obtain, just with one moment of uh, outward sin, doesn't even have to be from the heart, just uh, fall down on your face and do it. Will he, uh, will he give in and just commit one, one moment of sin with a great big payoff? Uh, and Jesus, of course, refuses. Away with you, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and him only. Away with you, Satan, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only. You shall serve. How often we would rationalize just one moment of sin by how big the payoff would be for us. But the Lord Jesus does not do that. He does not rationalize one moment of sin. In fact, he shows here that he never in his life considered or committed even the slightest sin for any reason. He was Here was just one moment with the biggest payoff possible, and he refused. And so what God sets before us uh, about his son here in these uh, last four verses, well, in verses 8 through 10 in particular, uh, is that our Lord Jesus, every intention of the thoughts of his heart were only righteous and that continually. He is the opposite of, of us. He is the opposite of what God saw about every other man uh, in Genesis chapter 6. And this is the righteousness that is counted for us when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And the devil leaves him and angels come uh, and attend to him, affirming that he continues to be the beloved son with whom God is well pleased. Uh, And these same angels now uh, serve us who are inheriting salvation, affirming that we are in Jesus, the beloved children with whom God is well pleased. And so we actually have angels serving us as belongs rightfully to Christ, because in union with Christ, his righteousness has become ours. He himself has become our righteousness. He who is God the Son. And this is what is wondrously, amazingly offered to us in the gospel. And so pray that each of you, my dear family, would know the Lord Jesus as the uh, ever-blessed God, the second person of the triune God, and that you would know him as your Redeemer who identified himself with you in his baptism at the cross, in all of his obedience, uh, 
and that you would know him as the one who has identified you with him, both by putting upon you the name Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but especially by giving you his spirit to bring you to this faith, so that you know that as the angels that you can't see continuously minister to you, we actually have holy angels continuously serving us, according to the book of Hebrews. You know that the reason for that is because the one to whom those angels belong has united you to himself. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage. I pray that you would help me in particular uh, to preach quickly and concisely on the Lord's Day so that we can get the whole thing all together. Uh, but more than that, O oh Lord, grant that uh, each of us in our household and in your congregation in this place would have a right and blessed view of your Son, our Lord Jesus, and would know ourselves to be united to him in his active obedience, in his the passive obedience of his atonement, even in his adoption. And we pray that you would do all these things for us by the work of your Spirit, who is for us the Spirit of Sonship, the Spirit of Adoption, by whose help we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.